So, um, we're, we're going to look at uh, the traditions and relationships and the traditions in the, in the uh, setting of running a meeting. Um, I'll do the relationship thing first because it, it follows on nicely from what we were dealing with before with sponsees. Um, so I've been with my, been together with my other half, Jonathan, for uh, coming up to 16 years now. Um, and we get on incredibly well, but it's not because uh, we get on incredibly well. It's because we've decided to get on incredibly well. And uh, it starts with a combination of tradition one and tradition five. So this notion of unity, we form a single unit in tradition one. And tradition five, there's a primary purpose. We've got two primary purposes, really. The first one, as we live together, is to make the household work as a piece of infrastructure for our lives, our joint lives and our individual lives. Uh, and secondly, is to, to the, the primary purpose is to, to have the relationship be pleasant and for us to be close, really. Um, you don't need much more than that. If, if you're close and it's pleasant, you're done. That's fine. <laughs> if there's excitement twice a year, wonderful. But that's not the per. They're just uh, peaceful and close is good enough for us. And the thing about tradition one is for us to remain unified, we've got to be allowed to be our own individuals too. There's a paradox here. Unity doesn't mean uniformity. And this hooks in to tradition four, which we've already mentioned, which is about I'm, I'm responsible for my own life, you're responsible for your life. If we start to affect each other, then maybe the other person could get brought in. So we have this setup where I get to live my own life. I have my business, I teach somewhere, he has his very complex work life. I have friends. He has friends. I have hobbies. He has hobbies. But then, as it talks about in the first paragraph of the family afterwards, we meet on the common ground of love and understanding and tolerance. So there are three domains here. There's his private domain. There's my private domain. Then there's the joint domain. And what's in the joint domain? We've got joint finances. Uh, we live in the same place. Uh, anything, it's a small flat. Whatever he does is going to affect me to some extent. Whatever I do is going to affect him. So we have to be careful about noise and physical space. There's, there's a space which is mine. There's a space which is his. But this is how we remain unified is by I don't interfere with anything in his private domain. So there's some, shall we say, uh, some people might sound kind of weirdness about him and his family. Something has happened in his family. I don't know what it is, but he doesn't talk to any of them. If he doesn't want to tell me, I don't get to ask. He's allowed to tell me, but he doesn't. So I don't ask. And it's allowing someone to have the privacy of their own private domain. He plays computer games. Who plays computer games after the age of 15? Well, my other half, apparently. For hours at the weekend, with the blinds drawn, beautiful sunny day, not today, but beautiful sunny day outside, and you're playing a computer game for six... The same game for 15 years. It's not even like it's a new game. It's one of these immensely complex strategy games where you construct whole worlds and then go to war. Um, unpleasant. I, just, I have no comprehension of it, but it is none of my business because it's his private domain. Likewise, <laughs> the fact I do lots of AA and other recovery stuff, he respects that. He doesn't understand it. He's not interested in it, but he lets me do it. And because of that, we can remain unified. Now, the threat to that is where something happens um, 
which affects both of us. And I give you give you the example. Um, many years ago now, uh, I don't think people do it so much, but there were lots of illegal ways of downloading feature films onto your computer. People just buy them now. It's much easier to buy them. It costs six pounds. You pe people don't go to the illegal downloading route. But a lot, everyone was do everyone was doing it. Fifteen, twenty years ago, everyone was downloading feature films and television series and all sorts of things. Some people were caught at it. He was caught at it um, by a copyright company that actually set out to find, to trap people. Except my name is on the internet account, so I'm the one that's sued. Now, the short version is I, I, I paid an expensive lawyer who made the problem go away, so fine. But, and um, by the way, that solves an awful lot of things. Save the pennies for the lawyer. It just makes life so much easier. Um, if you have to eat lentils for a year, eat lentils for a year. It's worth it, let me tell you. Uh, to just keep lots of rubbish at very much arm's length. Anyway, back to the topic. Um, on the day that it happened, the enormity of the situation, like how much I could potentially get sued for if they conf if they confiscated the computer and found out how many films he downloaded, it, it you know six figures. I thought I'm going to lose. I could if if they really want to, they could take us to the cleaners on this. Um, but he was getting really upset, and I was starting to get really upset, and I. And I went off into my study to think about it. And I happened to have an Al-Anon book sitting there and I opened the Al-Anon book. And I, I, it wasn't even anything that I read, but the very fact I was willing to look for guidance outside my brain immediately brought into my consciousness, your other half is sitting in the other room, quaking in his boots about what effect this behavior of his is gonna have on the domestic situation, the, the financial situation, everything. So I went into the other room and said, whatever happens, this is not going to affect us. So we're going to stay together. We're going to find a way through this. And I bear you no malice for what's happened. We're going to not do it again. But <laughs> so there's a little boundary in there, you know, delete the stuff. Don't do it again. But this must not affect us. But that's a decision. The decision that nothing is going to come between us is a decision. It's not a consequence of what happens. It's a decision that I make. And that, that, that's an important thing for me, that I decided nothing is going to come between us. And so nothing did. It's rather like with the programme. If you think it's going to work, it'll work. If you don't think it's going to work, it won't work. Not because it doesn't work, but because you've decided it's not going to work. If you decide it's going to work, amazingly it works. Um, yes? Does it have to be a two-way decision? If I can make that decision, but then, so I can try to do that, but then certain things, that person does certain things, and if you haven't made the same decision, things are coming in between. Give me an example of something that's coming in between. Sex. <laughs> things that he wants me to do that, I, that I've been clear about, but let's say, this is... Uh, this is where I am, this is who I am, this is what I can do, this is how, this is what I feel. Sometimes I go out of my comfort zone, but if you can't take that. Okay. Import, so the important principle, that this idea of nothing is going to come between us means I'm not going to bear any malice towards you for anything you do. And so it's this idea of the two things I get to do in a relationship are to serve the common good of the relationship and to forgive them for everything which means to withdraw judgment of everything. So I'm not going to walk around with a shopping list of judgments. And I'll come to your point in a moment. There's something I want to say before that about, and I, I yes. That, when you're able to kind of say that nothing's going to come between us now, have you worked through this, have you done a step 10 on that, on your resentment of what he's kind of done before you're able to say that? Or you just have that- It's more the other way around. You so, have that general rule anyway, and then afterwards I'll work yeah, through it. Yeah. But the easiest thing is that I'm not entitled to resent anyone. 
That's the whole point of steps four through nine, is that resentment is the way I turn my guilt, I get rid of my sense that there's something wrong with me by finding something wrong with you. That's the purpose of resentment, is to get rid of my sense of wrongness. So it's got no, nothing to do, resentment is so selective. I mean, of all the things in the world you're picking this particular collection of things to be resentful about, it's not about the things. The things you're resentful of are the white cinema screens onto which you're projecting the film, and you're the one turning the projector, right? But anyway, back to the, the topic of the... of. Um, uh, I want to say something about criticism and resentment, and then I'm going to say something about which covers the topic of, of sex. Um, an unpleasant but necessary topic. Um, so about 13 years ago, I was doing the dishes as usual. I was doing the dish dishes as usual. I'm the first one to notice they need doing, so I get to do them. That seems to be the rule. Fine. But I was doing them loudly. Have you ever done the dishes loudly so that they know that it was actually their turn? That's how you're... T Rather than saying, it's your turn, and then leaving them to do it or not do it, you just do, it, do them loudly, then they'll know. And doing the dishes loudly was producing no reaction at all. So I had to escalate. I said, it wouldn't hurt if once in a while... You know, you know how that script goes. Um... And he went pale, left the room. I thought, oh, I've got this, I've seriously misjudged this one. He came back 10 minutes later and said, I have never, ever criticised you. I could make a list as well. And then he left the room again. So, in me, refraining from judging him... I'm not extending any unilateral courtesy. There's plenty about me that could be criticised as well. Now, that leaves you with two situations. There's a question about common ground and there's a question about... Um, uh, is it ever okay to pick someone up on something? Now, with the common ground business... Um, on Friday evenings, on Saturday evenings, for many years, I've gone to a meeting and then gone for dinner, or with other people in AA, gone for dinner. Every Friday, every Saturday, I say to Jonathan, do you want to come? So the, it, the invitation is permanently extended. He almost never comes. But that's his, his unwillingness to participate. I'm fine with that. I would prefer him to be there, but he's not because he's very private, he's very quiet. He needs a lot of time on his own with the cat. That's basically his weekend. Um, for about two years at one point, he had some very different... He's very senior in what he does for a living. And he had some really very difficult things and people were treating him very badly. There were... Um, Grieve, unfair grievance processes, everything was resolved in his favour. But for a couple of years, he kind of wasn't there. Physically there, but preoccupied, quiet, shut inside. He was not available for much common stuff altogether. But he was allowed. So the common ground has to be with the willing, glad participation of both people. If one person isn't up for it, deal is off. And that would apply to sex too. So if both people are up for it, fine. If one person doesn't want to, it has to be okay. Because my attitude towards long-term relationships and marriage is it's not about sex. It's about building a, a vessel in which to travel through life. Someone gave us an anniversary card a number of years ago, which was a rowing boat going down a little river with two dogs 
to Labradors in the prowl, looking very proud, looking for... And if you think about the effort a dog has to make when it's paddling through water versus the effort of a, of a, of a boat just gradually going down the stream with the, you know, the dog sitting there enjoying the view, that's the difference between being single and being in a successful relationship, is that it provides a vessel which is stronger somehow. It's greater than the sum of its parts. But for that to work, it has to be entirely voluntary. It's exactly the same as with sponsorship. So, um, um, tradition three, this idea that uh, anyone can be a member of the fellowship if they, if they want, you know, if they, as soon as they say they're a member, they're a member. We don't have questionnaires that we force people to, and well, you haven't said yes to enough of the questions, so go away. If they want to be there, they can be there. But once they're there, they don't have to do anything. They don't have to do the steps. They don't have to have a sponsor. They don't have to do service. They don't have to smile. They don't even have to be nice. <laughs> they can just be there. And that's the deal with the relationship as well. He doesn't have to do anything to be enough. So if for a while he's not available, that's okay. And because I'm fully self-supporting through my own contributions, I have a higher power, I have friends, I have groups. If for a period he's not available, in whatever way I can cope, because I'm, I don't have emotional dependence on him. <coughs> um, there, is, there are sometimes things where you do need people to do things differently. And this is where... So I don't get to... Uh, criticize or judge or hold resentments against him but I do get to deploy what me and my friends refer to as the polite request <laughs> and the point about a request is it's not a demand it's a request and it's it's never posed in the sense of you shouldn't have done x y and z but it's posed like this in future would it be okay if you dot 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 so the request that he makes of me is when the cat is in the flat, um, make sure that the windows, don't leave the windows open, don't leave the windows open, we're on a fourth floor, don't leave the windows open more than an inch, she'll want to go onto the ledge, she's clumsy, she'll fall off. And so he's made that, and I'm, I'm careless with that, so he's had to keep making that request. I have to tell him when you leave the flat, turn the, turn, turn the central heating off if you don't need it. And some, other th and some other things too. There are all sorts of... I'm incredibly tidy, he's a hoarder. So I've, well, I had to have the polite request a year ago. With your cupboards, keep whatever. You can have them as full as you like. Your shelves, have them as full as you like. But may I request that we keep stuff off the floor and off the surfaces? And he agreed to that. And we say, So there are some things that need to be negotiated... But I negotiate that rather than you've been leaving clothes on the floor every day for the last year. Would it be okay if in the future we kept the surfaces clear? And then you have the conversation about what you're going to do differently. So it's a way of getting things done. It's a way of getting things negotiated without <coughs> treating someone else like a naughty child. But with the... With the uh, to go back to your question about the sex thing. I'm allowed not to do something that I don't want to do in any domain. I don't have to do anything for anyone. And that comes between us. It depends what you mean by coming, but I... From the other part, me. And that's the point. That's the point. So when I... When I set boundaries with anyone, they the point about the boundary is I'm making the boundary for me I'm not making the boundary for them. I'll give you an example this week. I, one of my clients who I've been working for for I don't know, 16 years, 17 years, and there's a particular stream of work where little jobs come through every week, which I've done for them for the last 16 years. And they, and it's for, so I work for agencies, the agencies work for end clients. And this agency said, in order to try and keep that end client you know, they've got tight margins that, that they, they can't... There's a tight budget. Would I be okay uh, working for a reduced rate for that particular stream of work? And by reduced, 
reduced by 40%. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. So I very politely said, I'm afraid I'm... And there was this whole manipulative spiel about we value you so much and we'd like, we don't mean to be offensive and we just like to open a dialogue. Whatever that's supposed to mean. Uh, that means where they present, they, they present something to me and I agree with it. I think that's, that's mm -hmm. what the dialogue means. But I, I simply sent an email saying, I'm, uh, I'm afraid I'm not able to accede to your request. Have a lovely rest of the day. I didn't need to explain. I didn't need to justify. I didn't need to, you know, butter the response. It was just, I'm not able to do that. End of story. Was that the end of it? No, that wasn't the end of it. They pushed. So the second email they sent was, are you sure you couldn't negotiate at least a certain amount on this? And the second response was simply no. N-O, full stop. It's got automated sing signature, but send. The automated, you know, the automated signature says best regards, blah, blah, blah. We love you, whatever. Uh, but no full stop automated signature, which indicates I'm not going to be rude, but don't push. It wasn't no full, no comma, sorry, full stop. It was no full stop, which means I remember saying to someone, um, in it, there was, a, there was a, a situation in an Al-Anon group about 15 years ago where there was a very angry person that wanted to negotiate something with me about the group, like outside the group conscience. So not in the group conscience, outside the group conscience, like in, you know, in conversation with me, how we were going to fix something up. And I said, um, no, and the conversa this conversation is over. Now he replied, this conversation is most certainly not over. <laughs> and as soon as one person says the conversation is over, the conversation is over. Now, I then, once I've set the boundary, you turn the computer off, you turn the computer back on again, and everything is back to normal. So I immediately, when I've set the boundary, I immediately go to pleasant, normal operate. Normal service is resumed. So I don't remain cold once I've set a boundary. Now, with something coming between, whether this agency has got a problem with me is none of my business. So other people are allowed to be upset with me. My sponsees are allowed to be upset with me. I was in a home group for a long time in Brick Lane and people get very up, if you're sober a long time, people get very upset with you if you stay a long time in a group because you appear, because you're the one that has lots of experience, you often have things to say in group conscience meetings, people perceive you as an authority, then they resent you for it. Now you haven't set yourself up as an authority, but it's just an automatic function of having been there for a long time. And so me and some friends left just because we needed to mix things up and not, we just need to be ordinary AA members and not people who are perceived as authorities. So we stopped it. People don't like it. They didn't like it when you're there. They don't like it when you leave. You can't, different group, you know, you're always going to upset someone. But the job is not to keep other people happy. The job is to make decisions with integrity and how they deal with it. So with this, with this people, people who've got the hump with me, for whatever reason, I get to remain completely pleasant and open and friendly. I don't respond to other people's hump by developing a hump of my own. That's when it comes between the two people. Um, I can keep my side completely clear. So that's again tradition four and tradition seven. I'm fully self-supporting through my own contributions. <clears throat> you know in hotels they have rooms have got communicating doors between the rooms and both of the doors have to be open to pass between the two. And that's the same. So when I've set when I've set a boundary, which means one of the doors remains locked, it doesn't mean that the other doors, imagine multiple communicating doors, the other doors remain open. So I'm able to talk about anything else. I'm able to do anything else. Let's go to the cinema. And, and one of the ways that I've learned to say no in a relationship is to say no, but how about we do X, Y, and Z? How about we do 
this? How about, how about we do something romantic this way? How about we go for a walk? How about we go for a meal? So that I'm not just no and then folding my arms, staring, waiting for the next thing. No, but offer something else. And I found that an immensely useful tool. I want to say another couple of things about... I'm just going to run through the traditions in my mind. Um, so tradition two, if anything affects us jointly, we have to have... We have to decide it together. And it's not decided until we both agree. And if we can't, if we're upset, we retreat and come back when we're calm again. Um, tradition eight, non-professionalism, wouldn't seem to apply in relationships. But the notion of tradition eight, we give everything that we give in the world of recovery for fun and for free, expecting nothing in return. So this idea in my relationship that I'm there to serve and I'm there to forgive. If I'm expecting anything in return, just because I've done a bunch of things, you now need to do a bunch of things. Look at how much I've done and so you owe me. That's, that's professionalising it. That's turning it into a transaction. Um, tradition nine. Um, can I just ask for a show of hands? How many pe people see themselves as fairly organised? in here okay. <laughs> um, tradition 9 says not to be excessively organised only as organised as is strictly necessary um, what I will do is set up lots and lots of immensely complex rules so that I can be the one that's in charge of policing and monitoring them and punishing everyone for not following the rules do the, are the rules really there? Do they really need to be there? And why are they there? Are they there for a good reason? Or are they there because they make me feel comfortable that there are lots of rules? So being no more organised than is strictly necessary. Tradition 10, minding my own business. What's my own business? My own attitudes, my own thoughts, my behaviour, my feelings, my internal life. What is going on inside him is none of my business unless he cares to share it with me including his defects of character. Um, um, I asked him what, what he considered his defects of character to be. He said, uh, I said, do you, th do you see yourself as having any? He said, none that I care to share with you. <laughs> so um, there's a, uh, some very good material on relationships by Rabbi Manus Friedman. And he talks about allowing people the dignity of having their own character defects without them feeling that you're watching the whole time, so quietly turning away. Now, occasionally something will cause a problem, like leaving clothes and other rubbish everywhere, not clearing cupboards out so there's piles of stuff accumulating in the hall. That's the point at which the rubber hits the road of the character defect, where his hoarding character defect turns into a practical thing which affects the household and affects me. That's when it becomes my business, and that's when the polite request comes in. But the defect itself, the thing inside him, I allow him the dignity to either deal with that or not deal with that as he sees fit. Um, tradition 11, attraction, not promotion. If I've got an idea, it's the same with sponsorship, like an idea for a holiday, an idea for something to do together, an idea for something to change in the home. I get to offer and explain but not to convince or persuade if I make a request once and it's ignored maybe make it twice but after that unless it's mission critical then drop it attraction not promotion I'm not there to force any ideas on anyone does anyone have any questions about traditions and relationships can I ask a quick question on that last thing you just said? Yeah. Because obviously sometimes you have to do things and organise things and it's on behalf of the family, not just yourself. And your children, for example. So just the idea of a holiday, for example. If you're trying to sort out something for yourself and your children as a family and things are, you're not getting the response or the support or the help that you need, yeah. you can't just drop it because otherwise your children lose out. I, I've got yeah that's it that's interesting there are there are times when uh, you have to seize the helm mm -hmm. you have to take control otherwise stuff isn't going to get done yeah. um, 
And in my experience, I mean, it's certainly true in my experience, and I've seen it in lots of relationships and friends of mine, there's usually one person that's super organized and in control, and the other person is chaotic. Um, one of the things that I've learned to do um, is... So I, I because I'm the organized one, um, when it comes to holidays, uh, I'm the one that has to do the booking. I'm the one that does the organizing. Fine. I'm the one. It's my credit card that it goes on. Then that comes out of the family finances. Um, one year we left it really late. I thought I'll let him do it for once, and it was left till about six weeks before, and we ended up in this. I think even in the end, I ended up booking it because I just couldn't, we couldn't wait any longer and it, it was okay, but it was, we decided never to leave it that late again. So I do it differently today. And this is just a tip which I found works very well. Um, I say to him, where would you like to go on holiday? And he, he'll say some ideas and I'll come up with a short list. Here are three options. Tell me which one you like. Two weeks later, I've, nothing's come back. I say to him, next Monday morning, the flights are starting to book out, the hotels are starting to book out. If we don't book soon, we'll have nothing. So I'm going to book at 9am next Monday morning. If you have a preference about which of those three options you'd like to go with, let me know. Otherwise, I'll decide. So it's a way of making sure that I'm in control, I, that, that it gets done. I'm extending the courtesy of allowing him whatever input he wants into the situation. But I, my, whether or not I proceed is down to me. It's not, I'm not waiting on him. That's where my resentment comes in though, because I think it should be 50-50 and that, you know, it's for a family event or, you know, it's just an example of the holiday, but generally yeah. in life. And that's when I get resentful because yeah. I think we should share it. It's for our children. It's for, do you know what I mean? So, yeah. You know. I had to get over the idea of 50-50. Yeah. Um, Dr. Paul O, who was a great AA member from many years ago, said that um, your 50 looks to them like 37 <laughs> or 12. <laughs> They think they're putting in 50, but it looks like 37 or 12 to you. If you put together the two 37s, you end up with 74, which is way short of the 100 you need. So you give 100%, which will look to them like 50. <laughs> and hopefully they'll get... Now, if you're giving the 100%, you, it, you'll, you'll get done what needs to get done. Um, the other person is often providing things which are invisible. So what's really visible in my relationship with Jonathan is I own the place and pay the mortgage. He gives me a, you know, he gives me a, a check once every six months to cover bills, uh, half the bills. Um, I do all the organizing. If we need workmen in to do things, I'm the one that organizes those. I'm the one that stays at home for the delivery of this or the, or the work on that. Um, but when I look at the quality of my life now compared to before I met him, it's like night and day. That relationship, he's providing something, but it's just not tangible in the way that what I'm providing is. And so there are all sorts of invisible things. And who knows, like, meta like beyond the material in the metaphysical sense, Maybe the one, maybe I'm the one that's providing one percent by doing all the organisation, and he's providing ninety nine percent of the psychological stability. Who knows? You can't quantify it in those ways. So I, I, I've this is where the way I treat the relationship is: I give of myself for fun and for free one hundred percent. And the trick is picking someone you respect enough for that to be okay. And I've picked someone that I respect enough for if if I get to the end of my life and I say yes I gave myself 100% for this person it would be worth it when I see and he said as well um, that he wouldn't be able to do what he does in the outside world um, uh, where he's there are certain things in terms of health that he's responsible for the whole of London so he's got an awful lot of 
weight on his shoulders. He couldn't do that if it wasn't for me and the kitten at home. The kitten is a major component in making this major career of his possible. She doesn't know that. <laughs> so, you know, what's important and where the power is flowing and how critical each individual piece is, who cares? So I'm afraid it, it, it's, um, it's rather like the 12-step fellowships. Once you've decided to commit, you're going to be with some interesting, difficult people, but that's part of the deal. If you sign up for the deal, the destination is printed clearly on the ticket. If you marry someone, if you decide to spend your life with them, there's going to be all sorts of stuff that you're going to have to deal with. And whoever you've got, there's going to be that stuff. So, I don't know, when you talk to sponsees, sometimes you're upset with your other half for half a dozen significant reasons. And then you hear your sponsees say the things that they're upset about that, and you think, thank heaven I've got the problems that I've got. I would not swap with any of my sponsees with the problems that they, they deal with, with. I couldn't stand any of those. So a lot of this resentfulness, I get resentfulness, but I've had to get over, I asked Jonathan once how he deals with resentment. He said, um, how he deals with other people resenting him. And he said, the way I deal with it is, first of all, I feel sorry for them because it's so childish. But secondly, they need to get over it because it gets in the way. And that's how I deal with resentment myself. It's, it needs to go because it gets in the way. And if, I, if I'm giving more than 50%, well, I get the medal. Great. It's fine. Any other thoughts or questions about relationships? Before we get on to the group stuff. Hello. Uh, you said before... Um, you were telling us that for once your, your partner was was for a long time unavailable and how is that okay? We as Anons tend to accept unacceptable behaviour. What's the fine line between accepting unacceptable behaviour and being okay with a situation like that? Let's see. People get to define what unacceptable means to them. Um, in my relationship with Jonathan uh, what we define as acceptable behaviour is courtesy and we're temperate in the way we speak. We don't exaggerate, turn things into great big dramatic crises. I mean, uh, about, about a year ago, when my mother was, was very, was particularly ill and I was going back and forth to hospital every day and it was very difficult, I came home and I think I... I started to complain in a rather, well, I, I was bad tempered and I was, I was not temperate in how I was speaking. And I wasn't directing it at, at him, but it was in his presence. You know, I had a little rant. And he immediately said, that needs to stop. If you start to allow that, it's just gonna grow. And he was right. So we've got our own rules for what we allow. So we're courteous, we're temperate, we stay inside our own cages, we're boundaried. But there are lots of things, when I tell my friends about the things that I put up with, all the things that he puts up with me, other people wouldn't be able to stand it. Um, so his non-availability, he's very, there are all sorts of eccentricities there, which I won't go into. Um, but I won't, for instance, in sponsee relationships, stand for verbal aggression. And certainly not physical aggression. Other people can stand a bit of that. I can't. So with with the unacceptable stuff, um, it goes back to this question of basic I basically respect Jonathan. So he's a, I see him as a good person. He's without malice and he's loyal. Now all the other stuff I can cope with because that is true. If I had a question about his basic morality or his basic loyalty that would be a deal breaker but I'm the one that gets to decide what's a deal breaker in my life and what's not so I see people as I say people there are people that couldn't deal with what I handle with Jonathan but likewise I couldn't handle what they deal with does that answer that to some extent? Yes, you, have, you get the right to choose what is and it isn't, and for everyone it's different, kind of thing. It isn't a, a ground rule. I don't think there is a, a, a universal. Okay. My, my grandfather, um, 
Uh, my grandfather, on my mother's side, married twice. And um, the second, I think this, it was his second wife, used to get very angry and have a go at have a go at her. Uh, have a go at him. And you know, she would nag and, and do all sorts of things. And he was so good-natured, he simply laughed. Now, to other people, she would be being abusive. But because of his psychology, it wasn't abuse, because it was just... He was so far above it, 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 it couldn't do anything to him. Um, um, my mother's got a, a bit of a streak of that as well, so she can be very critical on occasion uh, for whatever reason. She had a difficult, she had a difficult war, let's put it that way, um, in Europe. And uh, she can attack, and when she attacks, is like a dog who bites something and then won't let go and it's just you you know you try to change the subject and she keeps coming back to it and some of that behavior with me for years i thought it was she was being abusive towards me um and when she'd known jonathan for a couple of years she started to let herself start to treat him the way she'd been treating me for years so she started to have a go at him one day um, and his response, he started, he, he didn't affect him. He found it funny. He started laughing. She said, what are you doing? He said, I'm laughing. She said, why? He said, because you're being ridiculous. <laughs> and it was over. She never tried it again. So what's abusive, what's not, what, what's not abusive, it's got a lot to do with how the other person responds. So it's not a, it's not a straightforward question. It's not a black and white question. Any other thoughts about relationships or questions about relationships? I, I wanted to add that what was very helpful for me is communication. Just to speak about, just bring it to the open air and it helps to clarify what is the boundary, what is the resentment, what's going on. When it was inside me, I expected him to understand and he wouldn't. And I found it very helpful. I'd like to add to that. Um, there, there are things which uh, need discussion in the relationship, um, and there are things which I mustn't discuss. Um, many years ago, um, I think it was about ten. To, yes, about ten years, nine, nine, nine and a half, ten years ago. I thought I had serious problems in my relationship, and I went to see. I happened, my sponsor lives in Texas, and I went to see my sponsor, and uh, he booked me some time with an old sponsor of him, a man called Jim Willis, who got sober in 1957, 1957, he's still alive, still, still sober today. At that point, he'd been married for over 50 years, and I said something to the effect of, should I talk to Jonathan about this. He says, you have no right. This is your own private psychological rubbish. You deal with it, but you deal with it out of sight. Do not bring this poison into the relationship. Do not, it, do not make this a problem for him to deal with. And I dealt with it and it went away and it was ghosts. It had nothing to do with him. It was entirely within me. Where I need to communicate with Jonathan, I'll, I'll give you the example, is with, uh, like, the prop, we're in a small flat, I've got my office in the flat, and the issue of me being tidy and I own as little as possible, he buys and buys and buys and never throws things away, and the stuff which hasn't been used for years, and who knows why it's there, and it's half it's broken. You know, it's the typical hoarding thing. It's... That's relevant because it's real behavior in the material world which has a practical impact. That's the stuff where I must, I must not let that build up and turn into this sort of little tornado, tornado inside me, which I'm trying to conceal at all times. But you know when they know there's something wrong because you can't conceal it effectively enough? So it's a matter of, it's the, to me, it's the serenity prayer of knowing when I should say something, when I shouldn't say something. And I always get 
advice from people who are not emotionally involved in the situation say is this something for communication or is this something where I have to go and deal with it because it's really about me it's not about him the danger is where I make my psychological problems his problem to solve and vice versa that's that whole thing of I'm responsible for you and you're responsible for me but I'm not responsible for me and you're not responsible for you that whole craziness so communication is a I think it's a double-edged sword there. Any other thoughts? Can I just ask Adam that part what you were just saying? Sorry, I'm, I'm not, I hope I'm not dominating here. Um, but sharing our stories with other people, I know some people keep it very close to their chest, and but I've shared a lot with friends and family members, and I'm now thinking after what you just said that I know I've then burdened them somehow with my difficulties, but I sometimes feel that that's what our relationships are about, and my parents and my closest friends are there to support me through these difficult times, and I would do the same for them. But I'm just wondering now whether I've done something completely terrible. I, th I think I'm going to draw a distinction there between... Uh, there's a line on page 74 where it talks about um, uh, not sharing things with people that would affect them unduly. Now, if I've got stuff going on, which is really upsetting me, of course if I tell my friends and safe people in my family, they're going to have, we were talking about compassion earlier, they're going to have compassion for them. Of course it's no fun for them to see me going through stuff. That is part of it. It's when I'll give you the example, the best example is where sponsees develop either some kind of positive or some kind of negative attachment to you as a sponsor and then want to work through that with you. No, you're the wrong person to work, you know, that needs to be worked through with someone else. I've never successfully, when a sponsor has got a problem with me, I've never successfully worked through that problem with me, with them directly. They have to go to someone else. So it's not a matter of not sharing things with friends and family. It's sharing things which they're not, if they're emotionally involved in the situation, but from my experience, that's when it creates problems. But the mere fact of sharing something to communicate with friends and family, because I'm going through some stuff, then that's part of the deal that they're going to be emotionally affected by that. Does that make sense? Thank you. Um, literally on the point, I have a differing opinion <coughs> with my spouse on this. I'm like, you would Sorry, like... Can I just say, I've got to run, I've had a bit of a situation at home. Okay. I think, but, um, do I think that I have a living thing afterwards? Is it available? Yes, it will be. Yeah. Yeah? yeah. Thanks very much. Thanks. Thanks. Okay, bye-bye. Okay. Yeah, I have a difference with my spouse. So I'm working that I don't bring stuff to him regarding our issues that I have in the relationship and he would like that um, well he'll come to me and he wants me to come to him and it's something I just sort of have never resolved I think it's something that still sits there the whole time um, and I was just it, it, what came up was sort of you said you have a common ground with your partner and that our space and that and have you sat down with your partner and discussed together and come to an agreement together what our relationship is based upon no it, it's, each doing his bit. it's developed organically over the years. We've worked out, by, it's like feeling your way in the dark. You, you work out where the walls are and where the doors are and where the windows are. So when we have a large difference of approaches right now, I sometimes feel we're going on a, I don't know how to describe it, but some sort of collision course. And I'm not sure of where do, I, it's like I said, I, don't, I haven't seen the benefit of, I've done that in the past of sharing things about him that, there's an American there's an American television sketch many years ago where the husband and the wife are talking and the wife has been in some therapy group or something or, or read something in a magazine or seen something on the television which says that it would be really healthy in a relationship for the two people to be able to say, well, I'm going to tell you something that really annoys me about you, and then you can tell me something uh, that really annoys you about me. Right. So, um, you know, they, they uh, uh, prepare for this. And um, so 
she goes first and she says to him something that annoys her about him and he takes it on the chin and says well I'm going to do my best to you know to, to correct that in the future and she says so what about me what is there anything about me that you don't like I said no no I, I love you very much there's not there's there's absolutely nothing and she pushes and pushes and pushes and eventually says well there is one thing and she says what he says well you've you've got rather a large forehead <laughs> and then she can't let it go <laughs> what do you mean I've got a large forehead like how large is my like is it larger than so and so and then so it now becomes a thing between them and she can't let it go uh, one of the tricks in a relationship is just like in an AA group or, or any fellowship group there are going to be matters on which people disagree. Um, there was an American Supreme Court justice called Felix Frankfurter who many, many years ago said, there are reasonable matters on which people of goodwill may legitimately disagree. So those things don't need to be resolved, but there's this notion of if there is a common activity suggested, it does require both people to be up for it. And if one person is not up for it, I'm afraid the deal is off. Um, we've got a, well, I said we've got a cat. There is a cat that lives in the block that I live in. Um, and she technically lives in flat 29, a couple of flats below ours. But she spends half the day, she's got to know us for years now. She comes and sees us for hours. Um every day but if she stays overnight four o'clock in the morning she starts to pad up the bed and lick your face or sit on your face and you need to get you know you don't get a proper night's sleep you're exhausted the next day everything is a nightmare and so he would love he wouldn't mind he would love the kitten to come in and stay overnight but i can't i just can't do it and because I'm not up for it, the deal is off. And the same works the other way around. There are things that he is not up with. So, and that's part of the respect of allowing someone to hold a different view and not constantly carp at it. If they say no once, no, one no is enough. Any other questions about relationships? Let's have a little break for five minutes and then do... I suggest we then go on to the meetings, traditions and meetings. Okay, lovely. Thank you.